Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am your host today, the host of the most, Steve Edwards, from beautiful, sunny Portland, Oregon today. And with me on the panel is Lindsay Wardell. Hello, also from Portland. It's actually almost 70 degrees here. Woohoo! We're liking the sun and the sunshine. Oh, yeah. With us today as our guest is a alum of podcast, former panelist, and view dev extraordinaire, Eric Hanchett. How you doing, Eric? Hey, guys. I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me on. It's good to be back chatting on this, this podcast. I've missed it. Hey, folks. Do you love keeping track of what's going on in the view community? Maybe you're a little overwhelmed with all the new stuff. Well, don't be. Come join us at View Remote Comp. View Remote Conf is going to be a three-day online conference. We're actually going to have a fourth day, the day before, where we watch our favorite videos from View conferences over the last year. We'll also have talks from our favorite guests from around the View community, as well as our panelists from the Views on View podcast. So if you're out there looking for great View content that'll help you stay current with your web development skills, then come check us out at viewremoteconf.com. That's viewremoteconf.com. So what's things like down there in Reno? Are they, uh, are they pretty warm and sunny too? We actually had snow a couple of days ago, believe it or not. So we're kind of like north of Vegas. So we our weather is all over the place, changes all the time. Not not super sunny or hot today. A little bit, a little bit colder. Yeah, I was just reading. Uh, I think I was just reading an article on the news somewhere about the tons of snow hitting the mountains around California. So that's probably, I'm guessing, the same storm that or weather is coming your way. Yeah, we're kind of we're sort of in a valley here in Reno, and we're right next to Lake Tahoe. So there's lots of snow that that hits up there. And I think it's been pretty good. I mean, fortunately, all the ski resorts are closed down. But if if it was open, then uh, it would be pretty good snow. Right. Yeah, that's the big thing is the authorities are trying to keep people away from going and playing in snow. At least for now, with all the COVID-19 social distancing and everybody that, that we're all doing. So the reason I had asked Eric to be on the show originally was because of a view course that he was teaching called View 360. I think it was a month long, if I remember right, Eric, something like that. It's over now, but I'm, it looks like it will be happening again soon. So why don't you tell us, tell us about your course, Eric, what it covers, length, and anything else about it? Yeah. So i kind of a content creator. I've been doing YouTube videos for several years now, at least three years consistently. And it's always been a passion of mine to teach other people. And I, I created a course two years ago on Nux.js, which as you, everyone listening knows, is a pretty awesome framework for Vue.js. It lets you create static sites and server-side rendered web pages. That was like my first real course that I created. And it was, you know, just like five hours long. It wasn't too long. Um, I've been updating it and making it longer throughout the years. But when I first created a couple of years ago, it was just as kind of this short way of a short course and a way of me to kind of find out if I like creating courses. And, and I had a lot of positive feedback from that course. And then through that course, I was, I got people asking me like, hey, could you create a view course? And I had already written a book on Vue called uh, Vue.js in Action. It was published through Manning and we released it uh, over a year ago now. And a lot of people liked the book and they wanted me to kind of do more. And so I was doing tons of YouTube videos and I kept getting people being, being like, hey, can you create a view course? Can you create a view course? And so, you know, I finally found some time earlier this year before the craziness of this virus happened, by the way. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to sit down and do it. But, you know, I'm looking at the landscape and I know both of you guys know that there's just so much amazing content out there for view. There is... Sarah Drasner's front-end master's course. I mean, I've heard many people just 
gosh, and how great that course is. And then I've heard people going on onto all these platforms like Pluralsight and Udemy and all these other places. And I thought like, how could I make my course different than everybody else teaching view courses out there? And, you know, it, and it, that's not a big deal because I think everyone that, that learns view kind of connects to different people who teach view. Like some people really like the way Sarah teaches and people really like the way Ben Hong teaches that's okay, but I also I just kind of want to make something a little different, try something a little different out. So I uh, I decided to do a five week long, very involved one on one class where we were gonna it's gonna be taught online. People would sign up, and then every week I would release content, and then every week we'd have basically homework to do. So like the first week we had to create an app to um, like shopping cart app. And the second week we created like a weight loss app and so on and so forth. And we, every week it got progressively harder. And then we would have these weekly meetings where everybody in the group would check in with each other and, and I'd answer any questions. So that was kind of the genesis of View360 and how I started off with it. How did you get together every week? A sort of a Zoom conference call like everybody's using these days, uh, some sort of video conferencing app? Oh, uh, right. Yeah, so I, I, I did Google Basically, the Google Live Hangouts through YouTube it was basically YouTube Hangout was unlisted, so only people had the link could join. And then we would just get together every week and talk about the assignment. Then I would answer any questions that people had forwarded me or asked in the chat room. And then we would go over the assignment for that week. So this was a, a little bit more of an expensive course. You know, we had we had thirty students. I'll be transparent. We had thirty students. The course is around two hundred, two hundred to three hundred dollars. But it was just a really classroom-based, kind of a classroom-based uh, curriculum. So that's kind of what I wanted to do. I want to have like a smaller, intimate group of people where I could really teach them and we can deep dive into Vue. And one really cool thing is we got to jump into Vue 3 right at the end and go over that as well. So that, that's kind of the basis of the, of the class. And I was really overwhelmed by the response. It was really cool. I, like I said, I wanted to keep kind of a small class and it was perfect the size that we had so did you put a cap on it or that was just how many actually signed up well i was thinking about putting a cap of like 40 or 50 because if you're doing the type of class i want to do i wanted to really do one-on-one help with everyone and then once you get like hundreds of people it's really really difficult no but i i kind of want to keep it small i didn't put a cap but obviously if it like blew up and got hundreds of people i think i would have had to figure out something different, maybe had like multiple classroom, multiple classes or multiple people or something like that. But, you know, luckily we, we just had a, kind of a small, really engaged group of people, which is really cool. I kind of think of it like almost like the workshops that you get at ViewConf or somewhere else where it's like an eight hour workshop and they really, you know, everybody's there helping each other. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the way I wanted to do it. So during the week, if I understand correctly, you sign your homework and they have the homework and then once a week you get together and talk about it with you. So you said something about a chat. So I assume there's some sort of chat room, whether it's like Discord, Slack or something where the students can ask you questions and talk with each other in the interim. Well, we, we kind of played around with that first. So I used, so the platform I used allowed us to do some chatting. You can leave comments. You can also message me. I didn't want... I also run a couple of Facebook groups. One is on Nux.js and one is called Cotech and Caffeine. And so I kind of encourage people. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a funny name. So I kind of encourage people if they had questions to just jump in one of the Facebook groups that I already had or just email me 
directly or leave a comment. So we had different ways. I didn't create a, a dedicated like Discord channel or dedicated Facebook group for it. And I think I might do that in the future, but I, I just kind of kept it simple for now and see what see how people were communicating. And I also wanted to make sure that while I was teaching the course, that it was kind of work at your own pace. I mean, I encourage people to complete the assignments every week and to show up for the live calls. But, you know, life happens. And I was completely okay with that. So I kind of gave the option to people too, if they didn't have time to work on their own pace. And then if they're still in week one, and we were on week four, they could email me. And we could, I would still go do code reviews of their assignments, we would do all that. So I wanted to have that flexibility too. But, you know, I think one thing I want to do with this course, since, you know, I had so much positivity the first time is first time go around is to re-release it later in this year, maybe next year, probably hopefully later this year, you know, everything's up in the air with this virus and, and things, but, and then I'm going to try to do some improvements to it. I, I think maybe adding a chat, like a dedicated discord or dedicated Facebook group might be a good, good idea, but I'm going to kind of play around with it and see what people are looking for and, and, and just try to make the class better. And also, I'm really looking forward to View 3 coming out. I'm, I'm sure you guys are too, because of all the cool things that are, are coming out with it. Of course, like the Composition API. And so I think I can really tailor some more of the last, the last week of the course to the Composition API. So yeah, you had mentioned cost. Based on some other courses I've seen that are similar, I think that's a pretty reasonable price. You know, I've seen some similar courses that are like 900 something dollars. So for me, that sounds like a, a fairly reasonable price, especially given the amount of time and effort you have to put into it. Yeah, uh, it's, sure. it's, it's one of those weird things with pricing anything and pricing anything is, is there's a whole lot of people out there that are amazing developers that just use free resources. Like I'm a big fan of free code camp. I'm a big fan of, of some of the cheaper platforms out there. But I think there's a place out there for more one-on-one kind of help and more like structured curriculum. And that's that's why I wanted it to have to be still affordable enough for people to buy who really are committed to learning Vue and especially learning, we called it Vue 360 because I really wanted it to be job-ready Vue. I wanted people to learn Vue good enough that they can get a job tomorrow with Vue and be able to just run run away with it. And be able to to understand the concepts and and be able to jump in. And Vue is really known as a, a I think it has a pretty easy learning curve when you're first starting, but it's pretty in depth. It's pretty there's a lot of things that you can do when you kind of jump into it. So I really wanted to cover a, a lot of things. And going back to to the pricing, it was like if I do one on one coaching or consulting, you know, my rates are you know hundreds of dollars uh, an hour. But I I'm obviously I I can't. I don't, I don't want to charge that to people. I mean, obviously, if someone wants to come to me and do one-on-one consulting or coaching, I mean, I, I do offer that. But I wanted it to be kind of a little bit cheaper, but still worth... I, I wanted to have investment from the students so that they were invested just as much as me to, to get the material done. There's, I forget the number, but there's various types of learning styles. My daughter is in college studying to be a teacher. And so I, you know, hear this from her sometimes. And there's people that can learn by themselves and they can look at all the resources and do it. And there's fine. There's people that really like, you know, the classroom interaction, you know, having somebody there to help them, you know, and anything in between. I myself have learned a lot 
just on my own and banging my head against the wall. But there's many times I would like to just have somebody that I could have go ask something, you know, and show me instead of me having to bang my wall against it for hours. I'm sure there's people like that. You also make a good point with the money because you'll find out the people who are willing to put money on something are the ones that are really going to be invested as compared to those. Oh, it's free. I'll just play with a little bit and then, you know, not be real serious about it. I used to be part of a volunteer search and rescue group in previous years, and we would always let people apply. And then we get people apply, and then we'd find out they weren't real serious because it, it was a large time and equipment investment. And then once we started charging like a $25 application fee, then you find out you really got the serious people who are re- really interested in doing it. Yeah, I think I think doing something that's where you're charging money, you know, when you hit somebody's bottom line, their wallet, they, they really want to be serious about it. They're going to invest that, that amount of time and, and money for sure. And also, I want to add one more thing, Steve, to that is that one one thing that I know a lot of I'm a course creator, and I know I know a lot of other course creators out there. A lot of us are trying to do, especially during this time, well, ton, well, money's a little more tighter, is to offer scholarships and offer ways to people can take the course for free, too. So that's something I'm exploring too when I re-release the course later this year. I know a lot of my friends are doing that. If you have a, a valid need, you just got laid off, you are really hurting in this economy, we want to, you know, I want to help you. So I, I'm really up to taking people that are in those situations right now and um, giving them the course either a very discounted rate or for free. In fact, I just I have my Nux.js course, just create awesome apps with Nux.js. And I, I'm still to this day, I'll say this, if people email me and they're in a, a really bad hardship or you know they just lost their job, and they they can't afford you know can't afford it. I'll give the course for free because I rather have someone you know if they're if they're going through a hard time like that. I've gone through hard times. I would have loved to have had a course like this when I was going through a hard time. You know I'm willing to to give it away for free too. Yeah, that's cool. I've seen a number of course creators uh, doing something similar. I think today was it today or yesterday I saw that Pluralsight is free for an entire month. I think it's the entire month of May. Stuff like that. That's really cool. And, you know, if you want to think of a, a silver lining uh, in the middle of all this COVID-19 where people are at home, you actually have time to take advantage of stuff like that where you might not be poor because you're out and about doing things, whether it's uh, boning up on something new, learning something new, or maybe just improving the existing skills that you have. And I know in my case, it's been uh, one sort of back burner project I've had going off and on for a long time that I'm really getting to crank down on and make some progress on. So, you know, balances with the fact that people have lost jobs and don't have much money, but now you have time too that you might not have had before to, among other things, you know, take advantage of, of improving your skills. I'm, I'm really curious because you, you kind of described how you got from writing a book to making courses on YouTube to making this, this live class. How did you get to that point when you felt comfortable either writing the book, making the courses, doing something in front of people to teach them? What, when, how did you get to that point in your career? The way I kind of approach these things is that I think you can be just one level above someone else in learning. In other words, when I start a new project and I'm learning it, I think that's like the best time to start teaching something because you're going to have the insights that a lot of people won't have. So if I am just jumping in to learning React or Vue or a special thing in Vue and I'm learning it, that's like the best time to teach it. So when I started writing my book, I had done some view before and and definitely I had done some YouTube videos on it. I had I had um learned some of the material, but I wasn't an expert in view when I wrote my book. 
so by writing the book, I was able to take all the concepts that I had learned and then just started writing about them. And then I started learning new concepts and I did a lot of research with people that knew view a lot better than me. And that's kind of how I wrote the book. And I'd always think like, if I was in the position of a new developer learning view, how would I approach it? And so that's how I took to writing the book. And then when I did the course, it was the same thing where I was sort of looking at how I would frame this in a beginner perspective, especially the first couple of weeks. It definitely the, the course, the View 360 course ramped up at the end. I wanted to make sure I was covering intermediate and advanced topics. But at least that first week, I always approached it like, how would a beginner do this? And that's how I, that's how I, I put the course together. I, I know from, from my perspective, I've really enjoyed consuming different uh, content about Vue or React or other, other uh, libraries or frameworks, what have you. There's a part of me that always has been wanting to give back as well and to create my own content, be it a blog post, a video or something. That's, that's part of why I decided to join the podcast when, when the call went out from Charles Max Wood. And I, I just wanted some some way to to share what I had learned about Vue back to the community. So I, I really appreciate that perspective of as you're learning it, you can already start teaching what you've learned and that'll help build up your your knowledge of it. But it's almost like you're teaching two people. You're teaching the other person, but you're also teaching yourself at the same time, sort of. I think that's a great way. Now, you have to obviously, it depends on your audience. If your audience is intermediate or expert view developers that that's not the right audience to teach your what you're teaching but for a lot of people for the majority of people out there there's a lot of people like view but there's a lot of people that just kind of heard about it don't they don't really understand how to put it together and those are great to teach with what you know what you're learning at the same time and and you don't have to do a blog or a video it could be a podcast like this yeah i think i mean this sort of fits into the old adage that if you want to learn something teach it because you have to know it well enough to be able to show somebody else. And so, yeah, I think that goes without saying. And then one of the problems with teaching somebody to beginners when you know it well and have done it for a while and are really, you know, if you want to call yourself an expert, is that you forget what it's like to learn this. And you think, oh, this is, you know, probably one of the most dreaded lines for any newcomer when they're learning something. Oh, this is easier. This is simple. Just do this or this. And you're looking at it going, uh, uh, okay, yeah. You know, so... I think that's a real advantage of being one level above as you teach something, Eric, is that you remember what it's like that this was hard, you know, even though it seems easy now, it's been long because I've done it a million times and this is hard and, and being able to communicate that to the, the people that you're teaching. Yeah. What do they call like the curse of knowledge? Yeah, that like sounds that. about right. <laughs> even if that's not the term, I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> There's also a lot of psychology and a lot of ways you can teach people things. You know, I've been sort of experimenting and researching this as I've gone along my and teaching people and creating courses. There's like the the concept that, you know, we do something or I think it's called you do, we do, I do, where, you know, you teach something that you do at first and other people see you do it. And then we do it together. We like do assignment together and then you do it by yourself. So there's there's different techniques on how you teach too. I've just since we're on the topic of teaching, that can really help people. And there's also the idea is that not everybody learns the same way. Some people learn better by watching. Some people learn better by hearing. Some people, it's a combination of, of everything, of being able to watch a YouTube video or read a blog article or, or listen to some audio on something. So there, there's definitely different ways of teaching that we can talk about too, if you like. 
Oh yeah, the different learning styles, whether you're visual or audio or right. or tactile. I have a brother that's very tactile. He always wants to touch everything when he was growing up and learn and, and do things that way. I tend to be, and I think the majority of people, if I understand correctly from what I've read, are visual learners. They like to see something, you know, visually to be able to form a picture in their heads. I know that's how I function. Anytime I'm looking at a piece of code that I'm trying, you know, whether I'm putting something together or I'm learning something that somebody else has already written, I stare at it and look at it, look at it till I finally get the picture in my head and then I can navigate from there as compared to somebody who maybe learns better by writing, you know, writing it out. Uh, there's all kinds of different learning styles. That's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole can of worms right yeah. there. Learning styles yeah, and, that's, and how to. That's probably its own you. podcast. <laughs> oh, it is. It's a books and courses and yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there, but yeah, yeah. It's, that can be tough trying to, if you're appealing to a broad audience to be able to address all the different learning styles. On, on that line still, though, what, what made you choose first, for example, to write a book about Vue as opposed to doing a video or something? Was there something that drew you to that particular medium at first? Well, I had already written a book. This, that was my second book. My first book was on Ember.js, and that was back in like 2015, 2016. And so I'd already been used to writing books. And, you know, I'd, I just love writing. That's kind of my second passion, probably like many developers. You know, it's fun to 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 put together written blogs. You know, I started with blogging, and then and then I moved to to writing, and that was kind of a natural fit for me. And at that time, I had not done really any courses yet. And that's it. Seems like as course creators and content creators, there's different levels, and there's there's so many things you can do. I think a lot of developers start off with, you know, they start off creating blogs. And I was, I was no different. You know, I created a blog. I was blogging every week for a while on different topics, one different web development topics I learned. And then like, it was natural to jump into a book because it was just taking almost my blog articles I've written and put them into fully formed thoughts and, and chapters. And so that was kind of a natural progression. And then after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to do YouTube. And then YouTube was like, this is completely different than writing. You know, that's, that's one thing I've noticed too. There's a lot of amazing developers on Twitter that have amazing blogs, but doing video seems to be kind of a barrier for a lot of people. A lot of people don't like doing video, especially these these bigger, um, more well-known developers. But you know, I thought it was really scary at first. It took me hours and hours to create a 10-minute video because I would have to do a million takes of it. And But I got really comfortable in front of the camera. And so then it was like, okay, now I think I'm ready to start doing courses, video courses. So that that's kind of the progression that went through in, in my head. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. Yeah, video can be daunting because you know, you're putting yourself out there, your voice, and in your case, your image. Not everybody shows themselves on their videos, but it can take a lot of work. I've done training videos before and and you got to have your code ready and be ready to type in. And granted, you can come back and edit it later. So that's more time, but yeah, uh, yeah. There's also yeah. There's different levels of doing video too. There's first of can you just get in front of a camera 
and talk to someone and explain like a coding concept, just kind of a face cam. And people do that all the time. They do different advice videos. They explain different coding, I don't know, more career advice, I suppose. And then there's like screencast. You don't even have to show your face. You're just showing your code. And yeah, it can be daunting putting yourself out there. You know, I'm not, I, I can just imagine that some people, it's harder than other people. It's, it's definitely not easy to get in front of a camera and people are, can be vicious too. So, you know, especially comments are turned on. There's an anonymous YouTube commenters can just tear you apart for no reason, just because you look different or you messed up a word or, or they'll critique your code. So you kind of have to have a little bit of thick skin too. Usually though, what I tell people if they're thinking about getting into YouTube and they're developers and programmers, I tell them to just do it. And I tell them really the first year, unless you're really lucky, no one's going to be watching your videos anyways. It's sort of like when you first start blogging, probably no one's going to be reading a lot of your blogs until you build sort of an audience up. So it's okay that first six months to year to just turn on the camera and jump into a video and just start playing around and, and it's okay to have mistakes in your code. And most likely there's not a ton of people who's going to watch it right away. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty true. I guess it uh, depends on, you know, what point you're at. Like if you're already famous as a developer, say on Twitter or something like that, and then you start a blog, you probably get a decent amount of people watching. But if you're just trying to get your, you know, out there first, it'll take a little while to build up. I've seen some, <laughs> I've seen some of the comments in your video sometimes. I'm like, really, you get that ticked about that. Can't say I understand it, but you know, <laughs> different people have different things. One video that always stands out, and I'm pretty sure this is you, correct me if I'm wrong, was when the RFC for the composition API in Vue 3 came out. I think you put a video out there and said, Hey, this is what it looks like. What do you think? And people were like, Oh my gosh, this is awful. This sucks. I can't believe this. And there were some like, Yeah, this is cool. I can see how it works. But there was a lot of blowback, and you were like, Whoa, I didn't expect that much blowback. Yeah. Yeah. It, I've been trying to keep up with all the latest in the view community you know there's some really great newsletters and and a lot of good information that's being put out pretty much daily and when that that came out i jumped on it right away i did videos on it i did tutorials on it and i think one of a couple of them blew up like it got tens of thousands of views and yeah we got a lot of blowback from the composition api when it first came out and you know, one thing I do too on my videos is, you know, I feel like just like your blog or YouTube videos or anywhere else, this is sort of your space and you don't want someone to come in. It's almost like your house. You know, you don't want someone to come in your house and, and say a bunch of nasty things. And, and I guess the whole expression is if someone comes in your house and craps on your floor. So if someone comes in and be, is really nasty, like I delete their comments, you know, I'll delete them, I'll ban them. You can do that in YouTube. So that way, if it gets really nasty, you know, I delete it. I know some people think like all comments are good comments because YouTube has this algorithm. I'm not going to get into it, but it could help promote your video more if you get more comments. But I think it's worthwhile to do a little bit of cleaning up if people are too nasty. But but going back to your point, I think, yeah, I think there was just crazy amount of people not liking that at, at first and people thought they were forced into it. And obviously we know now that it's completely optional. Well, yeah, even the View Core team was was blown back because they ended up coming out saying, whoa, we're just putting this out there. We haven't done anything yet. And I think the biggest concern was backwards compatibility with View 2. People were afraid that, okay, now all of a sudden their View 2 not, stuff's not going to work, old stuff if they upgrade to View 3. And that was the biggest concern. So the core team, I thought, did a good job of saying, no, this is a new enhancement. We're not going to 
break things backwards. We're just adding this going forward. And then probably at some point down the road, it'll become the only way to do it. But, you know, that's for, for a while. So I thought they did a good job in terms of how they address that concern going forward. Yeah, I remember distinctly that once that started blowing up, I remember that there was a huge thread on Hacker News. And I think it maybe was on Dev2, Dev as well, and a bunch of other places. I, I emailed Chris Fritz, who was still part of the core team members back then. And I said, listen, did you see these? He's like, oh, yeah, Evan's on it. And then I saw Evan like going through and replying to all these different places, trying to clear up the confusion. <laughs> Evan, you, of course. Yeah, yeah, the creator of you. As we're talking, Lindsay brought up the, the, you know, how you got going and stuff like that. I'm just curious to get your thoughts on, I guess, the area is called personal branding. As of the recording of this, yesterday I had recorded for a JavaScript Java episode, a, a podcast on that particular episode, uh, where we talked to a guy about, you know, how do you get yourself to be known for a particular thing? In your case, it's, you know, obviously view development. And you mentioned about blogging and the YouTube videos and getting comfortable with that and even the books that you wrote. But for somebody who is in your case and really likes something and wants to tell other people about it, wants to share and, and, and be able to have people be helped by their content, what are your thoughts on how to get started doing that? How to get started doing personal brand, branding, that is? Yeah, how to, how to build, build up a quote-unquote personal brand so that you're known for you know, view development or being good at view development and being able to help people in, in this particular case. So I think definitely to start off with, you need to pick what you like to do most. Uh, maybe you really like speaking and talking. Maybe a podcast is the right medium. Maybe you'll really like blogging, so blogging is the right medium. Or maybe you like doing videos, then YouTube's the right medium. Right, the right place to go. So you need to kind of pick what you're, how you want to get your information out. I think most developers start off with blogging because it's, it's kind of like the low hanging fruit for developers. I think most of us are, we have to write for a living. Well, we have to write code for a living and then translating that to written thoughts on paper or online, I think is, is a, a good jump. And also it's kind of fun to start off with when you start with personal branding because usually when you create a blog, well, when you're blogging, usually you probably want to create your own homepage and website and at least have a, a place where you can blog at. And obviously there's a lot of blogging platforms out there, but it's usually a good idea to have some home base. So that could be a part of it. And then I would look for whatever you're interested in, try to figure a niche or topic that you're really fond of. I mean, some people, there's a lot of people that write about React or Vue or, and then just start putting yourself out there, start writing those blogs, creating those videos, creating podcasts, and start putting it out there. And then there's a whole idea of promotion too. I think that's an important part when you're, when you think about personal branding is because if you write a bunch, you know, it's, you, you want people to actually see it and, and listen to it. And so there's kind of techniques and tips and tricks you can do to kind of get your name out there. And then it's just a lot of time and effort. It literally could take years before people will find you a consistent base to build a, an audience to, to get your name out there. I also like to say that sometimes people do this on Twitter too. I've seen people come out of nowhere, all of a sudden have 50, 60,000 Twitter followers, start getting invited to conferences. You got kind of got to pick your social media platform and, and go for it there. So that that's kind of quick two minute synopsis in the top of my head to start with personal branding. I know you guys probably deep dived when you, you talked about it at JavaScript Jabber. Yeah, yeah, definitely a little more. We talked about it for a whole podcast, but you mentioned 
there's various tips and tricks. You got a couple maybe tips and tricks off the top of your head that you can think of without exhausting your entire list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, for example, if you start blogging, a good way to do it is maybe if you have a web, a personal website is to take the, the blog that you wrote on your personal website and then also repost it a couple places. And I think there's, can't remember if it's like a link attribute, but you can basically attribute back to your original blog article that you wrote on your own personal site. That way Google doesn't get mad SEO wise because there's duplicate content, but then you can kind of repost it on medium and dev.2 and a few other places. So that way more people um, can get eyes on your content. And hopefully if it's good content, it'll bubble to the top, more people upvote it. You can also post it on places like Reddit, uh, Hacker News, you know, places like that, which also medium, places like that, which also cater towards great articles. And then you can promote it. You can also, once you have the article in all these different places, you can start promoting it on your own Twitter. You can find Facebook groups to post your articles or videos to. So that's kind of what I would do. I would try to spend at least 25% of your time after you create a really meaty, juicy piece of content, just trying to promote that everywhere you can. Because I think that the idea is when you first start, People kind of get like, well, you know, if I make it, they will come. You know, if it's a really cool article that uh, it'll just naturally be in the zeitgeist of developers and it'll be shared on Twitter and I won't have to do anything. But really, unless you already have a huge audience, that's not true. You can make the most amazing article on view and no one will ever hear about it or see it. And it isn't going to just bubble up to the top. You really have to go out there, try to post it a few places, find some Facebook groups, find some Reddit subreddits that allow you to self-promote some won't and just try to try to get the article out there there's also ideas of even contacting your friends like if you know if you create a really juicy piece of article for view submit it to some newsletters like the the, there's a there's at least two view newsletters i know of you guys probably know more of submit it there maybe it can be featured there too yeah i think the term you were looking for is the canonical link yes thank you yeah yeah, Dev. I just did a blog post here recently on a site that I created with Nuxt and just straight CSS. And when I put it on Dev. Two, they have a place in there where you can point enter the original you know URL where it is on your site for that post. So, yeah, stuff like that's really cool. One of the interesting things I think about all this that hasn't been mentioned is that you do all this work. You do your videos. You do your blog posts. You write your books, and that's not even your main gig. <laughs> This is sort of, I think the term you used was a side hustle. How much can you tell us about your your main paying gig, what you do for a day job? Yeah, yeah. I have an amazing job. I work at an insurance company called Sarity. We do workers' compensation insurance. So it's really cool. We have uh, a really great team there. We have some pretty interesting problems. It's It's a really fun work experience. That's my day job. And then at night, when the kids go to bed, then I start up with the side side projects and just mostly teaching is what I like. So I assume you do view development there uh, at Serity as well. I do a little bit of uh, Angular and View. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm jumping in. We have a couple different things we do. Angular View, but mostly front end. Is it just yep. like the view itself as compared to Nux, for instance? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So I st- I actually beginning my career I did six years of Java development. I was a Java developer for quite a, quite a while. And it was a, quite an experience going from Java. And I really loved the front end, but I just didn't get a chance to. And then when I started kind of teaching people, I started teaching the front end while at my job, I was doing the back end. 
So that's kind of how it how it came to be. Well, it makes sense, Java to JavaScript, right? I mean, they're they're very close. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. <clears throat> yeah, of course. <laughs> you learned the error of your ways. You moved from from Java to JavaScript, and life was better, right? <laughs> yeah, I can. I'm similar to you, Eric, in that I came from the back end uh, PHP as compared to Java, but I work with the Java platform at my current day job as well. So yeah, I'm familiar with that and that that road. Definitely, uh, I like it. Just I guess being such a visual person, I like the fact that with the front end, you can actually see what you're doing. You know, you can change things that you see in front of you as compared to just you know writing in the back end and providing the data to to someone else or to a template system or something. Yeah, it's 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 interesting experience. I know a lot of developers who went from the front end to back end. I don't hear as many going from the back end to the front end. Maybe you right. and me are, are the exceptions, but you know, I, I I guess I just like both, but. I'm not a huge designer, though. That I think that's one uh, thing that I join can join the club. <laughs> <laughs> so that that that's one thing that I'm like, give me a template, give me give me something <laughs> I can convert over. I, exactly. I've been I've been trying to learn it from scratch. Like I bought, um, I had a chance to sit down and meet Eric Kennedy. Was it Learn UI Design? I think is his course. Really neat guy. He happened to be in town, and and then also I have Adam Wathen's uh, Refactoring UI course i'm trying to bone up on my design skills you know and and be able to do some stuff with scratch you know trying to learn tailwind and and that kind of stuff but you know i've been my blog template is really old and it's just one i happened to find a while ago and so i've been wanting to redesign my site but my approach is to go out and peruse through a whole bunch of different template sites and find one that you know has a basic setup that i can tweak as compared to to creating something from scratch just because i don't have those skills quite yet yeah, me too. I, uh, I, plus one for uh, Adam Wathen's course. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I started with HTML and CSS, moved backwards to PHP, then moved forwards again to Vue, and currently I'm stuck in Java land at work. So I've kind of just jumped all over the place. But yeah, design is definitely one of those things that actually makes me feel more comfortable on the back end because it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's all JSON in the end. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, Lindsay, any other questions for Eric before we move to picks? I, I had a couple of questions, yeah. So back in 2006, 2007, uh, we had, I was with a bunch of uh, friends on YouTube making videos back when YouTube only allowed 10-minute videos. And we had a lot of trouble converting from YouTube to our main website to try and build our community. Do you run into any issue like that? Do you have any kind of solution that you use? I, I think it looks like you typically try to drive everybody to YouTube. So you're saying you were on YouTube, but you're you're trying to get people to promote like your personal website or your your business. So so it was a it was a website where we would put up videos, and then we wanted. Sorry, the website wasn't videos. The website was just a community. So there was a forum, mm-hmm. and we just wanted the community to be able to talk and kind of pitch ideas for what they wanted us to make videos about. And we just had a, a really difficult time moving people from YouTube to that website. And I realize that's not necessarily an issue that people have today where everyone wants to drive to YouTube. But do you have any issue like that where you're driving from one platform to another and try and get the community where you want it so you can hear them more easily? Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good question. So usually what I do is I tell people at the start of the video, usually within the first minute or two, about something that they can get. Like I work with a lot of sponsors, which promote different things. And I'll be like, okay, by the way, this video is sponsored by so-and-so. And and if you, this is what they offer. And if you click down here in the description, that will 
you can go ahead and get this offer like 10% off. Or I, I have, I've worked with some, a few sponsors that give me the codes that anybody that uses that my code, that they'll get a discount when they buy a product. And then with my own website, what I do is I offer, like I have Vue.js in Actions, the book I told you guys about earlier. You can get the first chapter of that book for free if you click in the description of my videos and put your email address in. And then I'll send you that link, but that also I'll then also send you updates next time I have a video out and basically signs you up for my mailing list. So that's kind of how I approached it. Usually people love getting free stuff and I love to give free stuff out. So if I can give them a deal or free stuff, then that's kind of how I push people from YouTube to my own, my own content, my own like mailing list or website, or I'll put in, here's a link to a blog article and, and it'll have it more depth from the video. Okay. That makes sense. My other question, as, as I'm talking with you right now, I'm on your YouTube channel and I noticed that one of the other content creators I subscribe to is doing a live stream. Do you ever do a live stream of yourself programming or making anything? I, I know I don't. I used to do like Q&A live streams and I did that occasionally and it was fun, but you know, I, at the time I just didn't get as much engagement or people joining as I wanted to. It's certainly something I want to try maybe in the future again to try to see if, if live video is right for me. You know, some of these people, I think Nope Nopecat, there's a few amazing developers. She's really good that does like live coding on Twitch and live coding on, and so there's a few others that do live coding on YouTube and they'll be interacting with the audience and people will be asking questions and they'll be like pushing up pull requests and they'll have whole open source communities that that join these these live these live shows. But I that is a little bit beyond me. I think that's probably the next thing I need to kind of get, get used to and try that out, see if that's something that I like, but I haven't done it. Okay. That's one of the things I've considered doing myself. Granted, I don't have much of a audience right now, but again, no one would be watching while I make my first mistakes. <laughs> I, always, I, I always try to think of a project and then I code the project and I'm like, oh, I just made it. I, I can't live stream myself remaking it, I guess. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I would try it out and see if it's the right for you. You know, Lizzie, one of the things I've heard from people that have done live coding is that, you know, you mentioned about making mistakes and people seeing your mistakes. To a lot of people who are watching, that's a great thing, you know, because they realize that here's this great guy who's a developer and he doesn't just whip out the code and it's done. He makes mistakes. He has to figure things out. So, you know, live coding, transparency like that can be a good thing, encouraging thing for those that are watching you and, and trying to learn. I know if I were to live code, I would lose track of mistakes in about 10 minutes, but uh, <laughs> that's a different story. So Eric, would you, is your goal, and let me know if you'll get in trouble with your bosses for asking this, but would your goal be able to do this full-time and not have to do a day job, or do you just see this as, no, I like doing my day job and that stability, and I just want to do this as a, an extra thing on the side? Yeah, I think I'm always going to have a full-time job. You know, I just like my job and I like the people there. So no, I, you know, who knows, you know, something could change. But I think for now, I'll, I'll definitely be doing both. And this will be just a fun side project. Mm, okay, good. One of the most popular pairings for Vue on the front end is Laravel or PHP on the back end. If you're setting up and running a PHP app, then why hassle with all the back end config? Instead, count on Cloudways. Cloudways provides a solution that will have you up and running quickly. They offer exceptional performance and reliability and 24-7 support. So your website or your web app which is probably crucial to your business, will run in an environment designed for it. Go run it on Cloudways. If you use the code DEVCHAT, you'll get 30% off for three months. Well, 
let's move into picks and then we'll wrap up. Lindsay, what do you have for us for picks today? I have two picks today. One is another, I hope I didn't pick this one already because I'm picking it again if I did. The first one is Wayside School Beneath the Cloud of Doom. Don't know if you guys remember the Wayside School series. I remember it because I grew up with it. The author put out a fourth book last month and it's great. It just continues the story as new characters, brings some additional things back from the first, second, third books that it, it kind of helps with the payoff that you might have been expecting and never happened. So I really enjoyed it reading it to my daughter. So that's Wayside School Beneath the Cloud of Doom. It's also a very uh, fitting title for what's been going on recently. The second is I've been seeing a lot of pushback against things like Zoom because of privacy concerns, security concerns, what have you. And I saw the other day that Microsoft has put out a tool called uh, Meet Now in Skype. And it's a way that you can have something like a Zoom call where you're able to have people join whether or not they have an account and have a collaboration session of some sort. So that's Skype Meet Now, not the greatest title in the world, but that's what they called it. And I'll make sure links for those end up in the show notes. Well, Meet Now is pretty descriptive. It's hard to to not know what the term means. <laughs> it's <laughs> just hard to talking, say. <laughs> yeah, unless they're talking about getting meat to eat right now, but uh, we won't go there. So, okay, is that your picks? Those are my picks. All right, so my turn. So this week, as I found out yesterday, was reminded by a panelist that lives in Tel Aviv, is Passover week coming up. And so I have this great video from a, a group that's pretty not, not really well-known, it's a takeoff on the well-known song by Bruno Mars called Uptown Funk. And it's by this group that's actually a Jewish acapella group in New York City. And they call themselves 613, S-I-X, and the number 13. And it's called Uptown Passover. And it is it sounds exactly like the original Bruno Mars song. Really, really high production value on it. And it's got a, it's a video on YouTube and it's got videos of them going around, you know, in their uh, Jewish clothes and celebrating the Passover and the dinner and, and so on. But it's really well done. Really funny. I remember seeing it a few years ago when I always come back to it now and then just because uh, it's, it's a, a fun version of a really well-known song. And it talks about, you know, the Jewish history and coming out of Egypt and, and so on and the Passover, but really great video, a lot of fun uh, to watch and to listen to. So I'll put the uh, link to that in the show notes. Eric, what do you have for us for picks today? Sure. I have a book. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. It's by David Heinemann Hansen, DHH, and Jason Freed. So it's uh, a lot about, they have a company called Basecamp that has does this project management software, but it's really how they deal with their day-to-day work, how they do projects, how they, it's really interesting, like how their culture is in their company. So they really deep dive into that. Like they don't, they have all these amazing benefits. People always work from home. They have this really um, structured way they do projects. So, you know, highly recommended. It's really interesting. I think a lot of us as developers are in this, this mode where it's, we can get into these companies where it's work 80 hour weeks, you work tons of time, but they really kind of go against that grain, which is which is nice. And it's a refreshing look on, on how companies can't run. Yeah, I think I heard uh, DHH on another podcast somewhere talking about that, their process and what that book is about. If I remember right, they talked about going, was it six-week 
chunks of time. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're big on like these six week release cycles. They try to descope as much as they can if they can't make these deadlines. They call it dreadlines. They don't want to have dreadlines in their companies. They have deadlines. So it, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the, like they're really against scope creep and things like that, where projects end up taking a lot longer than you expect. Yeah, some really interesting things that tend to be seem counterintuitive to the way a lot of companies do things. So yeah, it sounds like that would be a very interesting book. I remember listening to this as an audio, I think last year. I went through it a couple times. It was a very good read or listen, I guess. All right. Is that your only pick, Eric? Yeah, yeah. I just have one today. Okay, good. So that wraps it up for us. So Eric, where can people get a hold of you and find your information? I know we've mentioned some of it earlier, but just give us a rundown of the places where people can find you. Sure. So we mentioned a lot about this View 360 course. If that sounds interesting to you, you want a really cool five-week course that you can work at your own pace, then go to course.viewcourse.tech. You can sign up. I'll be re- I'm going to probably do another launch later this year. And then also, if you just want to go to my YouTube channel, you can go to eric.video. And I have a blog at programwitheric.com as well. Although I haven't just- blogged in a while. So eric.video, or you can my, go to my Twitter, eric.ch. And just to be clear for those who are just listening, it's Eric with a K, not a C. Yep. Although I did buy both Eric.video with a C and a K. So get to it anyway. <laughs> oh, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just forward one to the other then. Yep. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Eric. Uh, nice to have you back. I remember listening to you when you were on this podcast before when you were still working on your uh, Vue.js and Action books. So. Good to talk with you because I've watched a lot of your videos. I actually have one pinned in my tab right now, which is your Tailwind CSS with you video, which is really good. And I'm sort of walking through that myself. So thanks for coming on. And thanks, Lindsay. And we will see everybody next time on Views on View. Thanks. See you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.